Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning, church. Uh, Lord, may you open our hearts and open our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. So that your scripture that is read and your word that's preached this morning, may we hear everything that you want us to hear. May we receive the promises that are set before us today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You have a seat, church. Uh, Last week, uh, one of our worship leaders, Jimmy, uh, made a comment uh, that uh, the baskets are back, baby. Um, And I love that comment. We haven't had the baskets up here for a while for kids to be able to drop off offerings. And I love that comment, and I want to echo as well. Uh, I think the staff feels this this week. Uh, The volunteers are back, baby. Uh, and I do, I do just want to affirm you as a church. We did ask a couple weeks ago, hey, we desperately need some help with children's environments. Uh, and you did respond back as a church. And I'm really proud of that because church is not something that we put on. It is something that we all come together and contribute with. So I just wanted to thank you for those of you who said uh, yes to being willing to do that. Uh, I want to start today with uh, a piece And I I call this piece, The Morning in Which I Lost My Cool, okay? It's a little piece I wrote for you. Now, to clarify, uh, I lose my cool a decent amount of the time, okay? This isn't just one time that this happened. But I want to walk you through the process of a moment where I lost my cool. I know this is going to be a rare experience for most of you, because I know you never lose your cool, okay? So just take it from my experience. And I'm going to describe it to you in stages because I just feel like that's convenient for you. Okay, The morning that I lost my cool, or I really lost my cool. It all began with a request from my spouse while she left for a business trip. In departing me, she left me with these awful words. Please take care of all the household stuff while I am away. And as always... I can easily make a simple request into the most complicated task. This is the beginning of where I lost my cool. Step number one, I call this stage reputation. The process all began with me sleeping through my alarm. Now why the words stop and snooze are all together, I have no idea. But I slept through my alarm and I woke up to the local trash truck turning on our street with its siren just beeping, AKA the carrier of the one household responsibility I must execute for the day. Instantly, I spring up from bed in a panic to not reinforce what my spouse felt like she needed to tell me in the beginning, don't drop the ball, that's reputation. Step number two, condemnation. As I roll myself out of bed and I start putting on clothes, some of them are not my clothes, but it'll do. I begin speaking to myself like a football coach at the beginning of two days. You idiot. Why can't you get this together? And my greatest rebuke of choice, you better hurry up or you're going to hear about this when she gets home. That's number two, condemnation. Stage three, agitation. As I'm on my way to the garage to grab the trash can to take to the trash truck, I remember that there may be trash in the pantry. So sprinting at a rate that would make an Olympic athlete blush 
I reach the trash can and open it to find an insignificant amount of trash to offer to the trash truck. I slam the lid in frustration because now I've wasted more time and I break the lid of the trash can. As I continue this path, I slowly start to resent my spouse, thinking, how come she doesn't contribute more trash? <laughs> Stage four, I call this negotiation. I begin to negotiate with God. What if I can spin this story? I become a philosopher all of a sudden. If I never see the trash truck, does that mean the trash truck ever came? I offered this to God and God does not find this conversation pleasing. Ultimately, I ditch this plan because our neighbors have loose lips that sink ships. Stage five, desperation. All while this domestic crisis is happening, I hear beeps of the trash truck as it is drifting away from me. I hear at each siren, loser, loser. Loser. As I wait for the garage door to open, which I am regretting that I didn't get the garage door that opens quicker, I throw up a prayer to God, and apparently God was not interested because the trash truck was already at the end of the street. And then stage six, ooh, stage six, I call this stage dead nation. As I sprint down the street now, because I'm committed, as I sprint down the street, flailing my arms like I have been stranded on an island, I make eye contact with this trash truck man. We make eye contact in his rearview mirror and he keeps driving. <laughs> the brave heart breaks out in me. I start yelling at the top of my lungs, trash, 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 as if I am on a first grade reading level. In resentment towards me and most likely not wanting to explain to his supervisor why some young gun took a time to write a five-page email single-spaced about the services, he stops the truck. I go up to the truck. God is good again. I give the trash to him. He takes the crane, picks up the trash can as we both watch, and he empties an empty trash can. He is fuming, and I am embarrassingly frustrated. And all I can do is he throws up his hands to me. I throw up my hands back, and I go, thank you. <laughs> I remember it was a long, embarrassing, and shameful walk back to the house. Thank goodness Carolina wasn't home. <laughs> it wasn't my best moment on display, but what made it worse was that it displayed all the parts of myself that I go to great lengths to hide from people, including you. Underneath my panic is an obsession for what I look like in front of people. Underneath my condemnation is a message that I think I take care of myself. Underneath my negotiation is the revealing that I sometimes tend to bend the truth and my dead nation is showing my inability to see someone beyond their job that is in society. In other words, the smallest moments of me losing my cool reveal the biggest problem for us all. My ultimate failure that morning was a failure to love. And underneath 
all of those small things, Christians have an umbrella word that describes all of these moments you see here on display. And the word is sin. Uh, last week, we started a new series called The Process of Love. And the reason we started a series called The Process of Love is that everybody has somebody who is hard to love. Love is not always instinctual and love is not always immediate in our world. And it is easy to love those who are easy to love, but it is difficult to love those who are hard to love. But Jesus can provide a love that helps you and I love those who are hard to love. As we walk through the series, we're walking through what early Christians have recognized as the letters of 1 John. And as we look at a passage in each of the letters, we're running into the questions that ask, if you start the process of love, of loving someone, where are you going to run into? So we walked through these last week. The first question that we talked about last week is, how do I love them? Them that is in my life. Question number two, what does God have to do with it? That is this week. Question number three, does it really matter if I love them? Question number four, what does loving them entail? Question number five, how do I love when they make it difficult for me to love them? Someone should say amen to that. And what if they don't love me back? These are the six steps in which we are going to walk through the process of love. And starting today, in this passage that you just heard Carolyn read, you get to hear in the first part of John's address how we fail to love. The word that John is going to use is he's going to say that we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves of how loving we actually are in the world. John will actually say it like this in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us at all. One of the words that is not very popular today is the word sin. I did 10 years of young adult ministry before I came here. And one of the words that was most triggering to young people was the idea of sin. Because often what we like to do is we like to use words like dysfunction. We like to use words like mistake. We like to use words like hang up. And John does not move towards those words. What he actually does is he talks about how we wrestle with sin. There was a study that was done a while back that People Magazine actually picked up. And they created this uh, test that they called the Syndex. And basically what People Magazine wanted to do is they wanted to ask the world, hey, what do you think about sin? So what they did is they went around and they asked people, what counts as a sin? And then put it on a sliding scale. Like how, how bad of a sin is that sin? And the results were very interesting that came out with it. As far as like a sliding scale goes, some of the stuff that you found at the lowest, okay, were things like swearing and music piracy, divorce. These were all listed as they were the lesser sins, the minor sins. And then you had some of the biggies. People would list it like murder, which I'm glad that one made the top, okay? Murder and abuse 
and spying on one's own country. That was interesting that that came up. But they said one of the ones that people pulled back and they said one of the greatest sins that's out there, one that is on the highest level of the scale, most definitely is cutting someone off in traffic. And I do not know the facts. Do not come to me after this sermon and say, how'd they calculate that? But at the very end, they were able to calculate how often you and I sin, which I found to be a very helpful stat. They said on average per month, you sin 4.64 times a month. I don't know about you. I've already met my quota. Okay. 4.64 times. Magazine articles like this reveal what we think about sin in society. We often view sin as individual action that we rate based off of what society thinks how bad it actually is. And although sin is individual action, that's not holistically how Scripture talks about it. You and I do not determine the severity of it. A really good example of this is John, how he says it in verse 5 and 6. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth that is in front of us. John will use a more encompassing word for sin. He is not described as this individual action. He describes it as the word darkness. The reality John talks about is that you and I are not people that just need tweaks in our life, that need self-improvement, that just have dysfunctions. We're people that slip up every once in a while. We are people who have bound ourselves in darkness and are in need of rescue and saving. Sin, yes, is a verb, but is also a state of being. It's not just something we commit. It's something that we find ourselves in. And when holistically the Bible talks about sin, it speaks of it as a verb. It speaks of it as a condition. And it speaks of it as a dominion, as a power. And it's a reality that is not consistent with who God is in the world. So we may have a lot of different messages about what sin may be, but John will actually start and he'll just say, hey, here is the message, not the message I have created. Here's the message that has been handed down to us from God. He describes and starts with God. He says, God is light. That God is this light who radiates love. John will later in the letter, he'll go and he'll say a bold claim. He'll say, God is love. In essence, God is this light who radiates love. And Jesus, the light of the world, comes into the world to show that there is no darkness when it comes to God. Maybe the easiest way to think about it is like this. Uh, one of the strongest light sources that we have in the universe uh, would be the sun itself. Uh, and I, I know for some of you, you're like, hey, it's a star. Okay, get it right. Okay, I get it. All right, it's the biggest star. That's a light source. It may not be the biggest star. I don't know. Ask, ask someone else. Um, the diameter of the sun is 865,000 miles across. 
And I have no scientific way to say this to you other than it's really hot. Okay, it's like really, really hot. But what's interesting about the sun is that the sun has different spots that we call sunspots on it where the temperature is different. That these sunspots are inconsistencies that are on this massive ball of light. It's areas where the magnetic pressure is increasing while the atmospheric pressure is decreasing. It is not the same across the board. And what John's trying to say that Jesus reveals to the world is that God's light is spotless. That God is love. Everything that God does is through love. God's mercy is love. God's judgment is through love. God's care is done through love. And there are no inconsistencies whatsoever. But when it comes to you and I, there are most definitely some inconsistencies. When it comes to who we love, who we increase our love to, and who we decrease our love to. You ever had someone just point out something to you of like where you're inconsistent? And like immediately your response is just like, oh, 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 you're the one to talk. And then you like try to like point out their inconsistencies. I know none of you ever do that. I know I just do that. But (laughs) if you ever do that, God is never described that way. That there's nothing that you look at God and God is inconsistent with. God's love is always consistent. And we are inconsistent in love. And when we're inconsistent in love, we are what John says, walking in darkness. And the best news about Jesus Christ, the reason why everyone should walk in the ways of Jesus is that Jesus has already come to us. He is the light that reveals to us our aches that we don't even know. He is the one who saves us from the patterns of our life and forgives us of those dark patterns in our life. And He also illuminates our path of how to move forward. And the best news that's available to all of us is that God in Jesus Christ has already come close. The question is, will we receive the love that we have already had from him? John tells us in verse nine, he says, here's what it looks like to enter into the love, the illuminating path, the way of healing with Jesus. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he will forgive us of our sins and he will cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. There was a phrase I used to hear growing up and Christians, Christians would say it. And you, you find Christians use phrases all the time that we assume we know what it means. And sometimes we actually don't know what it means. Uh, I used to hear this phrase growing up all the time. Uh, oh, that person, they, they walk with the Lord. And I remember growing up, one of the things I used to think walk with the Lord meant was I thought it meant like, oh, like that person has figured out how to do what God wants them to do. And when John, who knew Jesus, writes about life with Jesus, that is not the way John talks about walking with the Lord. Walking in the light, and this is so crucial for some of us, walking in the light 
does not mean a life of perfection. It's not a life where Jesus has forgiven us and now we are on our own to perfect it. Walking in the light means a life of confession. To be in the love and grace of God is a life where we confess to Jesus, where we need Jesus to meet us in our daily life. This is the grace and love that Jesus Christ receives us in. And do not overlook the posture in which John describes what life with Jesus is like. You know, for better or for worse, a lot of us get our mental image. We absorb, we assume what God is like based off of those who helped raise us. We pick up assumptions and assignments with God whether we mean to or not. And when I was growing up, and hey, I, like, I love my family. I lo- my family taught me a lot of great things, and I'm very thankful for something. I mean, like, they show up here. They listen every once in a while. I think sometimes I show up to Round Rock to be like, wow, they, they are really living love. He is still here. <laughs> I'm so sorry I lost my place on that <laughs> Oh, we, we pick up where, where uh, when, we're, when we're raised, I'm <laughs> so sorry, y'all. Uh, the people who raise us, we tend to pick up assumptions about how God navigates us. One of the things when I was growing up, if I ever came to my family and I owned up to something, if I came to my family and said, my bad, definitely made a mistake, the thing that you could hear on the lips of my family the most is, you see, this is why you listen to me. The things that were on the lips of my family used to be, see, if you would trust me, I told you that this would happen. You could have avoided this. And one of the ways that we grow with Jesus is we untangle the images and voices that we grew up with and recognize what is stuff that we grew up with and what is actually the voice of God. When Jesus receives us, he is not like my family that says, see, why did you not listen to me? When we come before God and we own how we have walked in darkness, Jesus does not respond with, I told you, you could have prevented that this would happen. I do not know what you grew up with. Maybe when you confessed something, maybe you received a silent treatment. Maybe you heard voices that said, I told you so. Maybe you heard voices that said, I'll forgive you, but you better not do it again. Maybe you heard voices who said, you've done a terrible thing. That is not the voice of God in Jesus Christ. When we come to Jesus in the ways that we walk in darkness, He, in the words of John, forgives us and he cleanses us. He is not harsh with us. These are the words of Jesus. When Jesus described his heart, he said, take my yoke upon me for I am gentle and I am humble or I am lowly in heart and you will find rest for my souls. 
The blood, the death, the life of Jesus Christ means that you can come before God and confess how you've walked in darkness and God's love receives you and wants to move you away from there. It's really interesting in our English translation, this word cleanse. Most of us would just read this and we don't even know like there is a lot happening grammatically underneath the hood of this word cleanse. When this word cleanse is written, it's actually written in the present tense not the future tense. That's just a really fancy way grammatically of saying the cleansing is not just future. It's present. Which means this, that when you confess to God, you're not confessing that you're hoping one day God is going to forgive and cleanse you. What it means in Jesus Christ is that you can confess right now and Jesus through the power of His life is cleansing you presently active right now and he wants to do this in relationship with all of us maybe if i can put it this way uh is there anyone that enjoys just a really good shower i know that was a hard transition that's the best i got for you though like like some people i i'm one of those people i'm so sorry whoever whoever was hurt i'm so sorry um i'm one of those people that love morning showers and the way that I approach morning showers uh, is I roll out of bed at 6 a.m. because I want to torture myself. I roll out of bed at 6 a.m. and I, I drag myself over to the shower and I, I slowly uh, discard clothing as I move towards the shower because I'm only half awake. And then I get in the shower and I close the door and I turn it as hot as it'll go and I just stand in front of that shower. And you know what I do for the first five minutes when I'm waking up? I just turn. And then I just turn. And then I just turn. And then I keep turning. And then slowly as the steam fills the room, I actually wake up and I become warm. Maybe that's an image of what it's like for God to cleanse. That when we, become, when we come before God in silence, which silence is the discarding of the things that distract us, the things that cover us up, when we stand before God in silence and we sit before the cleansing and forgiving presence of God and we slowly turn the parts of our life where we are coldest in our hearts, we fully start to know and experience and warm up to the love of God. There's a priest that once said, in Jesus Christ, we should be appreciative of our sins because they are our carriers of grace. To be in the name of Jesus Christ means that you can come before God in your sin, in the ways that you've walked in darkness, and you can confess them, and you can receive the love of God. It's how the love of God becomes personal to us. You cannot fully be known of how loved you are if no one actually knows what's going on in your life. We start by confessing what we know and what we know that we've walked in or what we don't even know to let God fully love us together. And John says to do that, to start there, is confession. So I want to leave you with just three things. 
for how do we enter into confession to be able to receive the love of God? The first is this. Um, we confess personally. Uh, maybe one of the greatest harms that we do to ourselves, and I completely get it. We have times where we wrestle with God's involvement in our life. One of the hardest things we may do to ourselves is thinking that God does not want to be involved in your personal life. That God is just this distant set of beliefs that we're just supposed to believe in. And if you come here today and God is not personal to you, maybe start by not confessing in impersonal ways, but personal ways. That the God that Jesus Christ knows wants us to come to Him and lay before the ways that we have walked in darkness and the way that the power of sin has gripped us into our lives. You know, a lot of us talk and confess in such a way that it's so coded. We don't know what we're actually, what we're actually saying. Like, we say things like, you know, I, I need to confess. I had some very impure thoughts this week. Or I've been very angry. Sometimes we need to translate that. When we say, I confess impure thoughts, what we actually mean is, I've been lusting over a coworker all week this week. And I'm trying my best. But I can't do it. I have to bring myself before Jesus and confess that. When we say things like, I've been angry this week, what we really mean by that is we mean, I've been really short with the kids and I've said some things that I should have never said to them. When we say things like, you know, greed is really ripped to my heart. Sometimes we need to get more personal. My finances have been all about me lately. When we do this with God, we receive the love, the forgiveness, and the cleansing of God that is personal to us. We do this with God, and we should also do this relationally with each other. The second is this, confess relationally. Tish Warren, who is a uh, minister in the Austin area, uh, writes this experience. She one, one time had someone ask her, they said, why do we need to confess to other people when it is God who forgives us. And I thought that her response was just so, so helpful. She said, it's so true that God forgives us. And that when we confess, we're not telling God something that God doesn't already know. But when we confess to other people, it is our chance for others to remind us what we have forgotten. Some of us are walking in such a way this week that we need to confess what we are walking in because we need to visibly receive what the invisible God wants us to receive in Jesus Christ. It's really interesting when John uses the word confession in this passage, that word, the root meaning of it, it just simply means with one voice. When you come and confess before God, it is not just this like, I gotta make it really dramatic, I have to really drag everything out. It's simply agreeing with God. It's agreeing that says, yes. Yes, I'm broken there. Yes, sin has gotten me there. And finally, the last one is, we should confess collectively. And this is really difficult for a lot of us. This is hard for us because most of us, we can't even pull up an Amazon account without it being custom made to us individually. And one of the things that we have to be mindful about, when God addresses people in the Bible, 
God sometimes addresses groups of people. When God speaks through the prophets, he speaks to a nation. He speaks to Israel. In the New Testament, when we flip through it, most of the time when you see the word you, it actually means you all. It's plural. The church through the ages has taken time in service to confess together. Because we come to remember that we are defined by the work of Christ, but in our confession, it's how we invite the work of Christ to start happening in our lives. So back to that question in the very beginning. How do I love them? Well, usually when there's someone in our life that we can't stand, usually the first place we need to start is we need to sit before God. We need to remember how God sees us in Jesus Christ. How God handles our hearts. And when we remember that, we find a different heart for those that we find very difficult to have a heart for. John over and over again is going to use the word fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. He even says that Christ died not just for you and not for me, but for the world. That this God longs for relationship. In the very beginning of the letter, John literally says that the Father and the Son were in fellowship together. Translation, before time, God was existing and experiencing relationship. God wasn't playing Uno by himself. God experienced relationship and humanity was made so that you could experience relationship, fellowship with God. In Jesus Christ, that fellowship is extended to you today. If you have never confessed that Jesus is Lord, if you've never said yes to walking in the light, if you've never said yes to the forgiveness that is available to you, you can do that. I'm going to be out in the foyer today. I'd love to meet you. You may our discipleship, Minister Matt. You can go lunch this week with one of our leaders, but do not leave here without knowing that this forgiveness, this life, this cleansing is available to you at your deepest aches. And all it does is start with confessing. So Lord, may you help us be able to receive and give the love that you've made available to us through Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, can you convict us now? And can you cleanse us of what we need to be forgiven of? God, for some of us, we confess ways that we've walked in darkness this week that have been different than your path that you have before us. And God, we pray the words that Christians have prayed through time. That you are a maker and judge. That we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed. And we have not loved with our whole hearts. And we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves this week. We repent and we are sorry for our sins. Father, forgive us. And strengthen us to love and obey in the newness of your life which is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord.